0: you're listening to the city world radio network high definition digital radio broadcasting from the city to the world www.cityworldradio.com
1: good afternoon welcome to intelligent talk with ralph mckelvenny
0: Join us every Thursday at 5 p.m. on the City World Radio Network as we discuss topics in politics, art, and current events. Welcome to Intelligent Talk. Our website is IntelligentTalk.com. We're very pleased today to have Susan Wood on. Uh, Susan Wood was the longtime assistant through both the 1970s of legendary British actor Peter Sellers, The word genius is overused today, but it does, I think, apply to Sellers. He died at the age of 54 in 1980, mostly famous for the role of Inspector Clouseau, but he could play virtually any accent, played many roles, worked in many different types of films. So, um, Susan, thank you so much for coming on the program today. My pleasure. Could you please tell me when you first uh, started working for Peter Sellers? Was it 1973?
1: It was, uh, do you know, honestly, I think it was, 72 or 73. I know I should remember, but I really don't precisely. Um, yes, my uh, ex-husband had just uh, met Peter. He had directed him in a charity show in London. And Peter was bemoaning the fact that um, he had lost his longtime secretary, who I now, of course, know was the wonderful Hadley Bradford. Um, and he was having lots of problems um, Filling that position. And uh, my ex, always having an eye to the main chance and liking the idea of being close to Peter, suggested that I might be able to help him. So the next day, I went to his news house and was absolutely amazed to find Liza Minnelli in the kitchen. And we chatted for about three minutes, I think, and Peter's only question was, can you start tomorrow? <laughs> and I only and I did. And that was um, the beginning of a... Really fascinating few years
0: of my life. I know you mentioned, and another uh, I read that his career at that time was not in a strong position. Was that why he was 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 having trouble? It was dreadful. Was that why he was having trouble hiring people, or uh,
1: I don't I don't think he was having trouble hiring people. I think people still would have wanted to work for him. It's just that he was in the depths of despair, and um, I, I didn't know that at the time. Of course, when I started, but I learned very quickly. And that's incredibly difficult to work with someone like Peter, who you expect to be this happy, cheerful, charming, delightful man, and he isn't. He is morose. He's locked in his room. He's uh, refusing to come out. And those first couple of years were were pretty much like that, up and down. I mean, he was working. I'm trying to remember. I think he, I think one of the when I started with him, he was either doing the Optimists of Nine Elms or hard beds and soft battles with the Boltings—one of those. So he was working, but he hated what he was doing. Now, and that made him incredibly depressed.
0: Right now, I know we had two different residences. As I told you, I'd gone to the Dorchester Hotel, even to deal with the barber, that Ken, who's still around. And uh, remember when Peter Sellers was there? And he had a house in Stad, Switzerland. Did you did you work in either of those locations, or did you? Work oh around? yes.
1: I worked, he, 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 when I first started with him, he had a a house in uh, Eaton News. And then, um, I don't know whether the lease ran out or it was too expensive. I mean, I wasn't close enough to him then to know all of those details, but then we moved to um, another house in London. And then when the things started to pick up about that time, um, and then he bought the chalet in Gestad and I worked from there with him on many occasions. And he then, when he married Lynn later on, then they, I mean, in, in between times, we were, when we, when he was working, we were coming backwards and forwards to um, Los Angeles, and he was renting houses in Beverly Hills. Um, but then after that, when things got successful, as I say, he bought the chalet, and then also he, and he bought a house for Lynn, uh, in Hollywood Hills. Robin Drive. So I worked from all those places. Oh, and of course in Port Grimaud. <coughs> sorry, I missed out the very important time in France um, when he had to go to France for tax reasons, and he bought a house in Port Grimaud, and we worked from there too.
0: A house in where? Sorry, the last place, Cork? <coughs> Port.
1: Port Port Oh, Port Grimaud. And not, yeah. Uh, sorry, it's probably my pronunciation, which is
0: poor. No. <laughs> but in the south of France. And what what could you just tell me what an average day was like working for Peter Sellers? I mean, were you dealing with his finances? Were you scheduling his, his mystics? His, his Forgive cycle? me for laughing, <laughs> but there was no there average was no. day.
1: <laughs> but yes, I mean, of course, de- dealing with fan mail was one of the things that I did. Um, but mainly, it was it was dealing with Peter's life. It, it's really hard to explain because honestly, every day brought something different. You know, he died there. Uh, just make arrangements to go out to lunch. If he was working, it was different because obviously we would be, sometimes I would stay at the house where he went um, on the set and then sometimes I would go with him. I mean, particularly the the last years and especially that last movie, uh, The Fiendish Plot of Dr. Fu Manchu, which he made in Paris. And I was there um, on... Uh, well they were filming most of that for most of that one but the others I went backwards and forwards and he would want things when he was on location I mean he was always sending me back to England got stuff like patent medicines because he was a he didn't believe that you know what he could buy locally was as good as what I could bring in from England mm. um, so <laughs> there was a lot a lot of moving around um sometimes it was just quite a question of keeping him company you were between wives or girlfriends and just going to lunch or something and he would do that And obviously, of course myself and and the mighty bert uh, who, bert mortimer who i'm sure you must have heard of was his wonderful driver and minder and uh, much more than that but you know
0: kind fired of inspired him uh, right i remember it.
1: he yes that was the, the most awful thing that happened. That was one of Peter's crazier moments. Um, it, I'm not, with still to this day, not 100% sure what actually happened, but he, he had me, he called me one evening, we were in the south of France, and he called me down um, and said I, he wanted to dictate this letter, and the letter was really firing Bert, and I couldn't believe it. So I held on to the letter for as long as I could, because often with Peter, I, I and again, I'm sure you know something about the letters he used to write to his children,
0: I do disinheriting you, yes. them.
1: And I would hold on to those for the longest time. And with the children, I could call them and tell them, you know, look out eventually. I'm going to have to mail this. So be prepared. And I really didn't even want to tell Bert about the letter or prepare him because I kept believing. I couldn't believe it. I mean, he'd been with Peter years, um, years and years, and they were so close. Anyway, in the end, we I had to deliver it, and um, well, the rest was history. Then then Bert did go on to work for Max by- Bygraves, um, who was living in the same building in London where Peter had an apartment at that time in Mobuck House.
0: Did, did, you, did he ever discuss his private life with you? I read the book P.S. I Love You by his son, who unfortunately also died, at the same age as Peter Sellers, also of a heart ailment, um, yeah. at, at age fifty-four, I, I know he had. I, I know you, you're referring to letters to his children. One letter he wrote to his son saying, basically, I renounce you, change your name. And then near the end of his life, he he brought him to his house in Stod and and uh, wanted to help Bye. him a little bit when he had his divorce with his with his wife. But did did did, did you have any idea why that was such a strain? Did, did the children ask for money? Was there anything that could have strained it that, that you saw from your perspective?
1: No. No, honestly, I, I again, it's one of those mysteries of Peter. I don't know what it was about. No, the children were great. I mean, I, I, to my knowledge, they certainly <clears throat> didn't ask for anything. I think they would have liked more of his time and more of his love and attention. Um, but uh, to the best of my knowledge, nobody asked for, for anything extraordinary. It was just Peter wanting everybody in his life to make him the center of their world. And, of course, as the children were growing up, and this is just, I have no idea if this is right or wrong. It's just my impression. You know, as they grew up and started to have their own lives, um, you know, he wasn't their be-all and end-all. And they didn't do every single thing he wanted them to do. I mean, stupid things like Victoria coming onto the set wearing purple. And, you know, he had an absolute fit because he had a thing about the color purple and the color green. Stupid things, and and obviously it put a wedge between them. And then I think he was confused that they didn't want to be with him all the time. Well, yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't want to be if he was constantly going into strange moods and yelling at you.
0: That, that's that's interesting. Your perspective on that. I know he wanted his son to go into acting, if I recall, and his son did not go into the film industry. He Became like a tradesman <laughs> in the building.
1: Yeah, I, again, I don't know how much of that is real. I mean, Michael got very involved with um, music as well, which Peter did like a lot. So it wasn't all bad. And and again, I, I wasn't party to any of those types of conversations, um, you know, where Peter wanted to push Michael in a certain direction. I wasn't aware of
0: that um, did you see him inter- I, Britt Eklund, who was a uh, played in the was a bond girl and played in the movie mm-hmm. The Man with the Golden Gun for those who don't remember Britt Eklund, but she doesn't say particularly nice things about him and uh, did you see any interaction with Britt Eklund or his, his last wife Lynn Frederick and how they got along
1: <laughs> no my my only interactions with Britt were when I would go and pick up Victoria because she was a little girl then and I'd pick her up sometimes to take her to her father. Um, But it was always very charming to me and we didn't discuss Peter. Um, So, you know, I I, I never had a conversation with her about him. I know that their divorce was was ugly. That's all I do now.
0: Uh, one of the things you, we, we when we spoke um, a few days ago you mentioned that, that some of the kindness he showed to you like for example arranging tickets to go to Disneyland in California could you just talk about that and some of his really nice side and how he showed that yes, to you yes
1: ab- absolutely he, he could be so kind I was we were working on I think it must have been one of the Panthers but we were in California my daughter who was 8 was in boarding school and it was her birthday coming up all the holidays actually the holidays and I couldn't go back he did did want me to go back. So what he did instead was he arranged for her to fly first class to Beverly Hills and stay with us. I mean, she had the most wonderful time. And then for a surprise, he one morning, a great white stretch limo turned up and uh, took us all, including him and Lynn, which I thought was lovely. They came with us uh, to Disneyland. And, of course, he'd, he'd arranged ahead of time. So my daughter, for her very first experience of, of Disneyland, was to be taken on a kind of first-class tour, going to the head of the line of every um, every ride there was and eating in this very elegant restaurant there. So she has never forgotten it. I mean, she's 50 years old. We still talk about it. Um, so those sorts of things. He was very kind. And another occasion when my um my uncle had died, I was very close to him, and I couldn't get back to the funeral and uh, it was I was feeling very down and Peter was going off to lunch with David Niven, and he just said, "Come with me, it'll be exciting it'll cheer you up and it was just just little things like that that um and to his friends he was incredibly generous if you if you were in you were you know you were in all the way um, but he could just drop you overnight too for no particular reason
0: who were who were his key friends i read that princess margaret the queen's sister was a friend of his I'll, you mentioned david niven i mean i i know he, he saw jack nicholson for dinner and warren Beatty. but who were his closest friends would, would you say
1: um i i suppose dave lodge um uh, spike to a degree but again they had a very fascinating up and down that
0: Spike, Spike Milligan, right? The, 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 the Goonies. Yeah,
1: Spike Milligan. Um, he was very close to um, Lord Snowden. They were, I would say, they were very close friends. Um,
0: Lord Snowden was Princess, he, Princess Margaret's uh, husband, the famous photographer. Yeah,
1: Princess Margaret's um, ex-husband, ex-husband. He was yeah. married to somebody else. And yeah. Um, they, they were close. And oh, gosh. A handful oh. of people that Really, some of some of whom I met and some of whom I didn't. But um, he was—it was, it was a difficult to be close to him because you didn't know what day of the week you were going to be his friend, <laughs> and what day of the week you weren't. I—I <laughs> I don't think. And this, that sounds so odd, but I honestly don't think he was aware of what he was doing by, by sort of not taking people's calls. He would go through stages of, I, you know, I know, I don't want to speak to him. And, of course, the person at the other end who perhaps had had dinner with him every night of the week the month before was stunned and amazed. Mm-hmm. But uh, then then he would, you know, he get over it, whatever it was, whatever slight he thought that had happened.
0: Did he ever make you laugh? Did he ever break into accents? And I know it was an amazing oh, God, yeah, many times. he did. So he, he could be funny then off camera then.
1: Oh, he could. When when he was in a great mood, there was nobody more fun to be with. Absolutely not. I mean, he would do that stupid thing as we get into the elevator. And he'd say things to me. It'd be a crowded elevator. And he would say things like, do you think he's safely locked up? You did lock, didn't you? You, you did lock the suite. You sure he can't get out? I mean, and stupid things like that—absolutely <laughs> idiotic. But yes, he he could, and and also he would practice. You know, his walk for whatever uh, ever role he was going to take on, he would practice his walk and his talk, and uh, that could be great fun as well.
0: A lot has been written about his reliance upon psychics and mystics and mediums and, and you're in a better position mm-hmm. to know than, than most but I, I read that someone bribed him with the words uh, BE that said that was important and they wanted him to, I guess he was on, his agent had done that and they wanted him to work with Blake Edwards and start the Pink Panther films again but as far as his reliance on, I mean how reliant was he on mediums and, and those things in, in your opinion? Was it a very, very. strong, very?
1: Oh yeah it, absolutely, he was very very reliant on the, Um and he also, uh, he had a little little shrine in his apartment in uh, in London where he had everything from a, you know, sort of Joan the Wad to the Jewish thing. And, I mean, I'm sorry, I can't. When I'm Nora, being inarticulate. Uh, Tor- but he Nora. had just everything. He had everything in that corner. It was like hedging his bets. So he was superstitious, both religiously, and then on the other extreme, he relied on all of these people to to uh, tell him what to do.
0: And, and w- I mean,
1: he was very involved with um, the famous psychic, but that was before my time. I only heard about it from Bert afterwards.
0: And and did were you the one who, who paid his bills for these psychics? And that raises another question of, I read that he was not particularly good with money. I mean, did you see a lot of money outflowing to charlatans and people yes. like that?
1: I mean, I, I didn't. Um, Bert was was more in charge of that than I was. Um, he would sort of go off and pay them in cash and things. But yeah, Peter, I think, did spend a lot of money. I think he was taken for a ride by a lot of people um, that he sincerely believed in.
0: Yeah, I mean, he just, do you think he was just searching for, for love or some, some someone he could, like, rely on someone? I think,
1: I, I think a lot of it had to do with his mother, who he was very close to and who had died long before I um, joined him. Um, and he was always waiting for her. He was convinced that she was in touch with him a lot of the time. I mean, he would read into certain things. Um, I don't know if we saw a bird sitting on a post or something. He would think it was Peg come back to talk to him. So he was very easily uh, persuaded uh, by these people, uh, you know, that, yes, his mother had come back to talk to him. I think that was a big part of it. I I think he was also searching for some sort of peace. He was never really... At peace with himself, and and I, again, I don't know, but I think a lot of comedians seem to suffer from that same.
0: Yes, absolutely. I just wanted to ask a little bit about his health. He had his first heart attack in sixty four, and then a series of heart attacks after that. Of course, culminating in nineteen eighty. But do you think he understood he was on borrowed time, and that had some effect upon him? Because he almost died in sixty four.
1: No. I don't think he thought about it like that. I think he really thought he would live forever.
0: Really? Okay.
1: Think, yeah. He didn't He didn't take any special precautions with his health at all. I mean, he was either dieting or eating too much. He was not drinking or drinking. I mean, he was—it uh, was interesting in that way.
0: I had read that in, in 1976 he went to um, see Dr. Christian Bernard perform a, <laughs> an open-heart or a transplant, and he was going to—considering having that on himself, but seeing the operation terrified him, and then he decided not to go through with it. Is, is that your understanding?
1: Yes, yeah. He didn't put it quite like that, but yes, that was exactly what happened. He flew out, and saw the operation, came back, and and the date was set, and everything for him to go back. And then he didn't at the last minute. And then he, um, but he tried other things, which were fascinating. I mean, he he didn't do that, but he did go to the Philippines and have one of those um, strange. I'm trying to think what they call it. Like, you a, know,
0: healer like, the, like
1: a healer or something, like a surgeon with the rusty knife. Sorry.
0: Oh, I was thinking like a, like a spiritual healer, but he went to an actual doctor in the Philippines.
1: Well, they call themselves doctors. Do you remember? It was for a period of time they would uh, appear to perform an operation and pull things out of your body.
0: Okay. Wow, that's um, obviously that didn't have any effect, I guess, right? Or that whatever. No, I
1: mean he. No, of course not. Um, but he did that, and then, as you know, then the night, the the day after his. Uh, final heart attack was he was supposed to be flying out to um, America to have heart surgery.
0: At UCLA, right? Uh,
1: I believe so. I honestly don't remember the details now.
0: My my favorite films, and I told you this as as a child, I would hurt myself in the 70s. My mother took me to a, uh, a Pink Panther film. It just cheered me right up. And I wanted to ask about, I heard different things about what he thought as Pink Panther. Some of them, he sort of denigrated the characters. Other times, he said nice things about it. And so I wanted to ask, what was his opinion of the Clouseau character? And what was his opinion of of Blake Edwards?
1: Gosh. um, I think for for a lot of time, he and Blake got on extremely well. But Peter was not easy um, on set. And I think, you know, Blake was a professional and he expected his... His stars to turn up on time and behave the way they're supposed to, and off Peter wouldn't. If he felt that film wasn't going the way he wanted it to, then it was nothing for him to, you know, to stay in his trailer for three hours at a time or just not turn up or go home because he felt sick. Um, so I think that obviously covered their relationship. I would say, you know, if, if you didn't have those things going on, I would say they were great friends. But, um, it did, of course impact that
0: relationship i understand that it was he that bought the trench coat uh for the role of Inspector Clouseau and sort of invented that character. And it's funny because great mm-hmm. comics like Steve Martin just could not do what Blake Edwards could do, which essentially is be funny while appearing to be serious. It's such a hard thing to to do. And Robert yeah. Bernini couldn't do that. So yeah. he was a unique person. And in, 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 in Dr. Strangelove, he played what seven different roles and different accents or three roles, whatever it was. I mean, it just, the way he could perform was just, um, just quite something. But did he ever mention the roles to you, whether he liked the character or not? Did he ever discuss that with you or, make fun of it or praise no, it no
1: not really no with kuso no it was um and i think especially after the first couple it was very much a job you know he he did it because he needed to it paid him a great deal of money and um i think occasionally he got a lot of pleasure out of doing it especially when he was working with his friends because they say he would have people like Eric Sykes and Spike Milligan and, and Dave Lodge you know, on set with him, and they would all have parts, and, and he loved that part of it and would have a lot of fun. But otherwise, no, he didn't really express to me any sort of particular feeling one way or the other.
0: Okay. I just want to focus on sort of 1980, that the sad time when he dies, but first I just want to ask you... I mean, you may not want to comment on this, but as you know, in his will, he supposedly people say he was going to change his will back from his third wife and give his children more money. But as it was, he died. Essentially, it all went to Lynn Frederick that she died, I think, of a drug overdose or something. And then her Uh daughter now has all the money. It's not very much. It's something like three or four million dollars. It wasn't a huge amount of of money. Um, I guess he wasn't that great with his funds. But did you know anything about the will, why he would disinherit his children and whether he was planning to change it back?
1: You know, something to, I, I honestly believe that's something that I should just leave for the family to discuss. <laughs>
0: it's
1: a difficult one. It's, it's so, I'm so sorry, but it really is not something I'd
0: like to answer. No, I understand. I mean, I understand he left his children something like 800 pounds, which was the minimum amount mm. you could leave under British law not have them contest the will. Um right. so just to get to the last day of his life, um, it's 1980. You're at the Dorchester Hotel. Could you just you're with one other person with Peter Sellers, right? There was another person in there
1: yes michael Jeffries, his
0: dresser and could you describe and, what what happened please
1: yes what happened was we, we we were having lunch michael peter and i he was and he was that night going to do a goon show reunion and then the next day as i say he was scheduled to fly out to america for his heart surgery and he he was in a slightly odd mood he didn't uh, Michael went into the bedroom to get all his clothes ready for the evening. And then Peter and I sat talking. And he really didn't want me to go. And I had a lot of things he'd asked me to do. And I kept saying, I really have to go. And he was like, no, just t- stay a bit longer. And then towards the end, I was getting, packing everything up to, to, to leave. And he said to me, can you get me some water and I went over to get some water and I heard this great thump and I turned down and he'd fallen to the floor and was rapidly turning that dreadful colour when people have a major heart attack. So I was screaming to Michael to come in and I was on the phone then um, calling for an ambulance and I must say everybody moved extremely quickly. It's like a blur to me and then I realised it was just people moving very fast. And they got him into the ambulance and took him, and we followed him. His driver at that time was a uh, man called Peter Greenwood, and he'd been waiting downstairs to, to take me shopping and things. So we got into the car, and by the time we got to the hospital, it was extraordinary. I don't know how the news had got out, but by the time we got there, there was press everywhere. And I remember getting out of the car and getting knocked down to the ground in this rush of people trying to get to the hospital to find out what was going on with him. And then um, we got to the hospital, and uh, I had they gave us a private room to start calling. So I started calling people and the children and wives and ex-wives. It was clear that Peter, if Peter was going to get through this, it was a miracle. And uh, as you know, sadly he didn't. But the saddest thing of all is that we were all there for I believe a couple. I can't you know I can't remember now. It's just such a blur. But I think it was like almost two days, three days. And we were at the hospital all the time. Because Peter was a man who never, ever wanted to be alone. And anyway, one by the, the end of the I think it was about the second or third night, the, the hospital said to us, look, nothing's going to happen. Why don't you go and get some sleep? And of course we did. And then two hours later they called us to say he'd gone. And so it always breaks my heart that, the, that he passed with nobody with him that man who wanted to be surrounded all the time and needed people desperately was a And I think
0: that's the saddest thing. In, in looking at his life, and you started with him when he was, of course, a well-known actor, but then he became wealthy and very successful with the Pink Panther films, and you saw him the last years of his life. Do you think he, he, he got any kind of happiness with the, with, with the achievements that he was able to do in terms of the success? Or was he any different in 1980 than he was in 73? Or was it pretty much the same, Peter, just with more just with more cash or more assets
1: pretty much the same man i i didn't uh, i mean i i'm listening to myself i make it sound like it was miserable all the time far from that far from that but no he was never content and he was never totally pleased with anything that he had done no matter how good it was no matter how much people told him it was brilliant he could always see the flaws
0: did, did he get any pleasure from anything like in terms of watching other people's movies or reading books or travel or did anything that you come to mind, give him pleasure where took his mind off his torments for for, for a few hours?
1: He, he, loved getting, he loved going away places and having vacations and things. And then he'd remember that he brought himself along and he would go back to being Peter. So, no, I, I think he had moments of happiness, as we all do. But I overall, no, he was not a happy man.
0: Well, that's um sad cuz he brought so much happiness to um to everyone else. Well, I just uh, Susan Wood, thank you so much for coming on the program Intelligent Talk and sharing your memories of the legendary actor Peter Sellers. I very much appreciate your time and thank you for granting what I believe is your first radio interview.
1: Yes, it is. And uh, <clears throat> thank you. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> thank you for making it so easy. And uh, enjoy the rest of your day.
0: You too. Thank you so much. Good day. Bye-bye. Thanks.
1: Bye.